Welcome to another episode of Breaking the Plane. We're over here scoring tutties, and we had three freaking preseason games last night. It is a beautiful day here in the world with Pylon U back, got Shane Alexander back with Jeff Fayer. The world is right over at Inside the Pylon, and we're over here at Breaking the Plane about to talk about these three games and break down the 2018 Divisional Outlooks for the NFC North and the AFC North. So very exciting stuff. But first, let's jump right into those three preseason games last night. We had a Super Bowl rematch, Patriots and Eagles. We had another Super Bowl rematch, the Packers and the Steelers. And then we had the Jets go down to Washington, D.C. to play the Skins. So let's start with Tom Brady. So Tom Brady, this man is plus 40 right now. He's 41 years old. And he goes out there and he balls out in this game through for over 170 yards, two touchdowns. And I know this is preseason, but he still has it. He's ready for the season. He sat out the first preseason game. There's nothing to be worried about when it comes to Tom Brady. But there are a couple things to be worried about when it comes to the Patriots. Most notably in this game, Isaiah Wynn, who was the tackle and he is versatile enough to play guard. He could really play any position on the offensive line. But he's a tackle out of Georgia that they drafted first in the first round this past draft. And it looks like he's going to be out for the year with a torn Achilles. And, you know, for a team as good as the Patriots, they do not have a glutton of fortune, to be honest, because they have suffered injuries to top picks time and time again. Sony Michelle was their other first-round pick this year. He's had this knee swellness, has not been able to see the field whatsoever in preseason action. Now you have Isaiah Wingo down. We can go back to last year when the kid at a Youngstown State, Derek Rivers, edge rusher, who has been showing up in the preseason this year, he was lost for the season with an ACL tear. So this team has suffered a lot of injuries to their younger players who are supposed to be filling the voids of a lot of these older players that have been leaving. And with this division, you have the Bills, you have the Dolphins. What are you going to expect from them? The Jets seem like they have a bright future ahead of them. And now you have the Patriots going through injuries. I'm not worried about the division when it comes to New England, but it's just one of those things, man, that you just absolutely hate to see for these young guys' development. But in this game, we saw James White revert back to Super Bowl 51 James White. He had six catches, 61 yards. We saw the rise of Cordero Patterson, who has been getting a lot of praise in the preseason. And Cordero Patterson's problem coming out of Tennessee was could he master the mental aspect of playing receiver? No one ever doubted his athletic ability, but can he be able to run the routes, adjust, and do all of these little nuanced things to playing the position? And he's bounced around a little bit, went to Oakland. Now he's with the New England Patriots. And you saw the kind of quick twitch change of direction that he possesses on a little screen pass from Brian Hoyer. And he puts just this little subtle move on the cornerback, just absolutely juking him and just scampering into the end zone. It was one of those things that it's like, wow, you can really do a lot of these things if you keep this kid focused. Julian Edelman getting on the field, getting four catches for 26 yards. And again, he has this suspension looming over his head. So you're going to need Chris Hogan, especially, who's already a starter, but you're going to need Cordero Patterson. You're going to need a lot of these other receivers to kind of step up. Philip Dorsett got in this game, and there was a lot of fear that he was going to be out for a while earlier in the week, but he was able to see this game, got one catch. He's going to probably see the field quite often. This is his second year in this system in New England. It's not the easiest system to learn, so these receivers will really have to step up and 
play for Tom Brady, play for their team, learn this system, and they're going to have opportunity. And what a great opportunity for young players like Cordero Patterson, who's been in the league for a while. You know, guys like Riley McCarron, Braxton Berrios, they're battling for the punt return job at the moment. You still have tight ends like Jacob Hollister. They brought in Will Ty, the ghost of Will Ty, used to be with the New York Giants. There's going to be a lot of balls to be spread around here in New England with the suspensions and the injuries. And you know how quick Tom Brady gets rid of the ball. Their offense did not take a lot of five to seven step drops. They just get the ball out. And with Julian Edelman being suspended for the first four games these first four games are going to be a lot of targets for guys like James White for guys like Chris Hogan for guys like Philip Dorsett and I'm looking forward to see who really steps up and is able to play with the GOAT Tom Brady to see how this first four games materialize for the defending AFC champions but as for the defending Super Bowl champions, the Philadelphia Eagles, it wasn't exactly a great game. Not just because they lost this preseason. I don't really pay attention to that, but they were sloppy with the ball. They gave up eight total sacks. Holly Pooley, Vitae, Vitae gave up a really bad sack to Adrian Claiborne, which led to a scoop and score. But more importantly, Nick Foles ends up suffering a shoulder injury. Now, we're not really sure when Carson Wentz is going to be able to come back. Now, it's like 50-50 if he's going to play week one, but I'm sure the Philadelphia Eagles do not want to rush their franchise stud back from a gruesome knee injury. And they have Nick Foles. They have a person who's Super Bowl MVP, Nick Foles, that they could step in, but now he injures his shoulder. So is it going to lead to Nate Sudfeld playing week one against Atlanta? That fast, that aggressive defense, a playoff team that's something that is a little bit scary if I'm an Eagles fan I mean you hope that it's nothing serious with Nick Foles that Nicky Dynamite comes back and he will be fine and he can kind of place hold until Carson Wentz your franchise can get fully healthy because if you just have Nate Sudfeld who went into this game he threw three touchdowns had an interception over 300 yards threw the ball 39 times and he's able to grasp this system that Doug Peterson has in place. That is quality stuff, but you do not want this kid starting. We want to know, really need to really harp on that. When it comes to the receiving options for Philly, it looks like Shelton Gibson is really stepping up to the plate. Five catches, 90 yards, had a touchdown in this game. And with Alshon Jeffrey dealing with all these injuries right now, there are receiver spots to be taken here. I mean, you shipped Torrey Smith away. You bring in Mike Wallace, and Mike Wallace is a veteran presence. He still has some speed. He's not the player he used to be, but there are some receiver spots that can be taken here. Mac Hollins is going to have a role on this team, but for players like Shelton Gibson, players like Bryce Treggs, they're really fighting for roster spots right now. If they can show that they can be reliable options in the receiving game while contributing on special teams, I mean, they could be looking to crack in the roster here and potentially earning a role, which is something that any kid any player would love to do especially on a team that has a realistic chance to repeat and win a Super Bowl they just need to stay healthy and last year they didn't even stay healthy and they still won a Super Bowl they didn't have their quarterback they didn't have the starting left tackle they didn't have their starting middle linebacker and they have all those guys back Carson Wentz not quite yet but we'll see what happens with Jason Peters obviously he's dealt with injuries his entire career and then Jordan Hicks which the Eagles are going to really need this season. But let's move on to the absolute shootout between the Packers and the Steelers with the Packers at home, 51 points. Steelers, 34 points. Really sucks for the young signal caller, Mason Rudolph, who 
tried to hit an out route or hitch to the outside. It got picked up, interception, taken back to the house for a touchdown. Aaron Rodgers also threw an eight-yard touchdown pass to Jimmy Graham, and the score was very, very quick, 14-0, the Green Bay Packers. And it's one of those things where, you know, the first pass of the game, you're a rookie, you're on the road, your first road game in the NFL, and you throw a pick six, that really sucks, to be honest. Tremont Williams been in the league for quite a while, just jumped the route, 25-yard interception. Your offense gets the ball, you can't do anything about it. Then Aaron Rodgers just leads the drive right down the field. But then the Steelers were able to kind of put something together a little bit. Three-play, 73-yard drive. Thanks a lot to James Conner just running the ball down in literally everyone's throat, along with a little bit of help from the penalty of face mask. But that's a good showing right there from James Conner. Now, this is a second-year player. We all know what James Conner has been through in his career at Pitt. Seems like a really, really good kid. Le'Veon Bell is still out right now holding out because of the money and the contract situation. You want to see these replacements step up, the depth step up. And that's exactly what happened in this game for the Steelers. We saw James Washington have an absolutely amazing game as well. So your young players that you spent second, third, fourth round picks on are kind of stepping up to the plate here. Now, again, Mason Rudolph struggled. He ended up throwing a touchdown pass a little bit later, but that that's a rookie move, throwing that out route. It just getting absolutely jumped by Tremont Williams, taken back to the house. That is something that he will learn in time that you just cannot do in the NFL. Shake it off. You move on from there. It was very, very encouraging to see James Washington, though, show the contested catch slash ability to adjust your body in the end zone to come down with that ball from Josh Dobbs, which was absolutely beautiful for Washington coming out of the Big 12, that spread football. How is he going to be able to handle these NFL corners? A lot of questions like that. And yes, he's playing second teamers right here, but this is very encouraging. And we've seen Pittsburgh time and time again just be able to groom wide receivers and make wide receivers very, very relevant. And going back to Mike Wallace when he was there, Emmanuel Sanders when he was there, obviously Antonio Brown. And now we have Juju Smith-Schuster last year. Now you bring in James Washington to replace Martavis Bryant since you traded Martavis Bryant for a third-round pick to Oakland. Let's see if John Gruden can do something with Martavis Bryant out there, but that remains to be seen. But you look at James Washington, and I, I see a guy, very, very long-legged, and I remember watching him in college, number 28. Think thought he was a running back when it came to the way his upper body was built. But he's showing these strides here in the preseason, and it's going to be a player that you will know, especially with Big Ben's big arm, James Washington's ability to run the nine route, and the fact that coverages are just going to be rolled to Antonio Brown. Be focused on Levy and Bell whenever he gets back on the field. And then you have Juju, leads James Washington in 11 personnel as the person who will not be getting as much attention from defensive coordinators. And I'm sure they will make, the Steelers that is, defenses pay because of that. Let's move on though to the Packers and the Packers you know the Packers have a lot of young receivers because they went out and they drafted Marquez Valdez Scantling they drafted Equinemius St. Brown and they also drafted Jamon Moore and it was Jake Kumaro now he's been in the league for a couple years out of Wisconsin Whitewater and he's bouncing around from practice squad to practice squad and I'm pulling for this kid hard because it seems like everybody loves this guy he seems like he has a great personality and he's coming up and he's showing up in these preseason games and in this game he had three catches for 114 yards and a tutty on just three targets so every time Brett Hundley or Deshaun Kaiser threw the ball his way he came down with it and 
that's the way you open eyes right here. He was able to do this. They dropped 51 points here, and he was doing this throughout the second half. So he wasn't going against first team, but it's definitely somebody you want to pay attention to, put it in the back of your mind. As for the young quarterbacks for Green Bay, Kaiser looked pretty good. Okay, he went seven for twelve, 149 yards, and two touchdowns. He also used his legs a bit, as did Brett Hundley, who had a rushing touchdown, dove through the end zone. Now they're going to be battling for that number two spot. Hundley and Kaiser, obviously, Rodgers has it locked up, number one, no doubt. But we've seen Rodgers last year, years previous, suffer injuries. So who's going to kind of step up and take this role? Because I don't think the Packers, Mike McCarthy. I mean, they went out and they got Deshaun Kaiser was overly uh, impressed with Brett Hundley last year. They got to see him time and time again, but the offense was so limited, so they relied so heavily on Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. Ty Montgomery when he was healthy. This year, it's going to be Aaron Rodgers throwing the ball to these young receivers. And I'm expecting a huge year from Devontae Adams. I mean, Devontae Adams, doesn't matter how talented you are, and I think he's a talented receiver. He's not a top five, but when you think about fantasy, you look at a guy like Devontae Adams, and he's going to, if he doesn't have 10 touchdowns at least, it's going to be a big upset. And I'm sure guys like Jimmy Graham are going to be annoying when it comes to fantasy production for Devontae Adams. Because Jimmy Graham is a red zone monster, and that was Jordy's role. Jordy Nelson and Aaron Rodgers had such a good rapport in the red zone, he's gone now. Devontae Adams is another player who can make Things happen in the red zone, but Jimmy Graham, that's what he's going to do. And Jimmy Graham's probably going to have stat lines like he had in this game. One catch, eight yards, a touchdown. And that's going to be something that will be annoying when it comes to fantasy football, especially if you're a Devontae Adams owner. But just to move on from the sport of fantasy, which I can really talk about a lot, I'm intrigued to see how this rushing attack is going to be implemented when the season comes because Aaron Jones he's suspended gotcha so is Jamal Williams or Ty Montgomery Ty Montgomery has suffered through fumble issues he was a wide receiver coming out of Stanford they transitioned him but he doesn't seem to have the ability to stay healthy Jamal Williams has a huge opportunity to earn this role because Aaron Jones a lot of people think and I haven't grinded their tape just from what I saw he seems like a very talented young player now, if Aaron Jones has more talent than Jamal Williams, he's going to see the field. But if Jamal Williams can make an impression in these first three games and kind of grab that grab that mantle, grab that job, he's going to have that crack at it and be in a position to start over Aaron Jones for quite some time. So he really needs to kind of step up to the plate, throw the pitch up in the air, knock it out of the park. You know what I'm talking about. Anyways, moving on to the final game that we're going to cover before we jump into the division outlooks and that is of course of course the new york football jets going to washington dc to play the washington redskins now in this game we saw sam Darnold start and that was really cool because a lot of people were expecting teddy bridgewater or josh mccown to start josh mccown didn't see the field it was just teddy and it was sam and Darnold went out there and he looked pretty good he did he was making the right reads he was getting rid of it at the right time now the interception that he threw was a mistake it seemed like i mean it was a fourth down play and he was just throwing the ball to get rid of it it seemed like his hips and his feet were not angled towards the target and he kind of just panicked we've seen we also saw donald hold on to the ball a little bit too long a couple times get a couple covered sacks couldn't get rid of it which resulted in them being knocked obviously five six seven eight yards back he got sacked twice in this game but overall he held his composure here the interception was bad you don't want to see that and again he struggled with those kind of things in college 
trying to fit the ball through tight windows. A lot of opportunity for the defense to intercept the ball. Sometimes it was not taken advantage of by the defense. But that's one issue that Darnold has. But all in all, against the ones, after practicing with them, getting rave reviews from guys like Josh Norman, I thought Darnold held his own for a rookie. Obviously, you want to see just him continue to progress. He still made mistakes in this game, held onto the ball too long, that one really bad interception. But there's going to be some growing pains here with a player like Sam Darnold. And we said that time and time again, leading up through this draft before we even knew where he went. But the fact that he's getting all these rave reviews, the fact that he was named the starter in this game, now you just take it week by week, see if he keeps progressing, and the future looks like it could be bright for the New York football Jets. And then you got Teddy Bridgewater. Now, Teddy Bridgewater, outside the one interception which he tried to force, and there was good coverage on the outside, Teddy Bridgewater looked like vintage Teddy Bridgewater. He had pinpoint accuracy on a lot of these throws, and he was not bailed out whatsoever by a lot of these Jet players who ended up dropping a lot of those really, really good throws. Went 10 for 15 for 127 yards, touchdown, and obviously that interception. And the two times he was sacked, man, and it might take us a while as a fan, as, as fans of the game to see Teddy get sacked and just you kind of clinch up and go, oh, geez, I hope he gets up. Because the one sack, he was right directly on the knee, and there was a holding penalty, actually, against the offense. And I thought, oh, geez, oh, no, please, Teddy, don't be hurt. But he was able to bounce back, and that is so encouraging to see. But Teddy Bridgewater, you know Sam Darnold, is the future of this team. But Teddy, you can trade him, Teddy right now to teams. There are quarterback-needy teams who may be willing to part ways with a day-two pick, like a third-round pick or something along those lines. And that would be fantastic for the Jets to be able to utilize Teddy, showcase him in the preseason, and then use him to get more draft capital, something that they, I'm sure, will be exploring throughout this game. As for the running backs, and it's kind of very similar when you look at the Jets and the Redskins running back situation right now. They're both very injured. you got Isaiah Crowell and Elijah McGuire, who are both on the shelf right now for the Jets. And then you look over at Washington. Darius Geis is obviously done for the year. Samaj P. Ryan breaks off a 30-yard run on his first carry and ends up hurting his ankle, leaving the game. Byron Marshall also got injured. So if you play some DFS in the preseason and these injuries don't kind of come back for preseason week three, you might want to look at the opportunity that a lot of these guys are getting because that's all fantasy football is, is opportunity. But stray away for a second from fantasy Look at guys like George Atkinson had seven carries for 31 yards in this game. Thomas Rawls at eight for 12 did not really show a lot whatsoever. I thought Atkinson looked much better, and they're both similar type of bruising backs. When you look over at the Redskins, I liked what I saw from Martez Carter in the fourth quarter. Ran very, very hard, always chugging his feet. And then Capri Bibbs, who... We've seen bounce around the league a little bit. Was on the Broncos for a while. He had seven catches for 47 yards in this game. Now, DK, to go back to a little bit of DFS, that's seven points right there for those seven catches. Something to pay attention to. But I look at these running back situations, especially when it comes to fantasy at the moment, they could be used because there are injuries here. There's opportunity, and that's all you're looking for. But when it comes to the season, I'm looking for Isaiah Crowell. Bilal Powell will have his role as well. And Elijah McGuire, whenever he comes back, that's who you're going to be looking at for the Jets. When it comes to the Redskins, it's going to be a split between Rob Kelly and Samaj P. Ryan. Chris Thompson will obviously get the third down reps. But P. Ryan and Kelly, it's going to be a battle right there. 
And Rob Kelly didn't really show much in this game. He runs hard, but seven carries for 17 yards isn't going to get it done. Pre-Ryan looked great on his first carry. Ends up going down. Hopefully, he'll be back for week three. And when I look at the receivers, and just like we were talking about with the New England Patriots, I look at Washington, the receiver group, and there are some opportunity here. There really is. And Cam Sims, in this game, made a really bad mistake over the middle, dropped the pass, which led to Colt McCoy's interception. Colt McCoy, other than that, had some pretty good accuracy in this game. Went 12 of 16, 140 yards, put the ball exactly where it needed to be for Cam Sims, which led to an interception because Sims couldn't haul it in. But Sims was able to bounce back. Now, he only had three catches for 57 yards, which is solid, but he made a really contested catch in the end zone for a touchdown, which was called back due to illegal formation. But Cam Sims, it's a name to file away because, again, the Redskins, you have Josh Doxson, who's going to be a starter. You have Paul Richardson, who you brought in from Seattle. That's going to be a starter. But outside that, Jameson Crowder is going to be a slot guy. There are some roster spots here to be taken. You have Simi Cobbs Jr., who's a biscuit away from being a tight end that you took this year. You also have Brian Quick, who has kind of bounced around a little bit, was with the Rams for a while. He's kind of a journeyman. Trey Quinn was Mr. Irrelevant this past season. Three catches, 36 yards in this game. You have Vernon Davis, the hookup between Vernon Davis and Alex Smith, which everyone loves because it goes back like 10 years. And Vernon Davis is probably going to have a role again because Jordan Reed cannot stay healthy, cannot put 16 games together. But when you look at a guy like Cam Sims, can he show enough? Trey Quinn, can he show enough on special teams as well to make this roster? Because there's going to be receiver spots that are up in the air. And Josh Dox and Paul Richardson, by all accounts, have not exactly proven themselves in the NFL. Paul Richardson's on his second contract now, which bodes well for him. But Josh Doxson needs to have that season that makes him not be a quote-unquote bust because he has that first-round pedigree coming out of TCU. But if you watched him coming out of TCU, you saw his lower body explosiveness. The guy can jump out of the gym. He has the ability. He just needs to stay healthy. So I'm intrigued by the Washington receiver room. I'm also intrigued by their defense because Jonathan Allen was hurt last season. And now you have Jonathan Allen, and you draft a lot of other Alabama skill positions. Sean Dion Hamilton, and then obviously Deron Payne. Deron Payne was able to get a sack off a swim move early on in this game versus Sam Darnold. It was an excellent move. So you have some guys now on this team. You did draft Ryan Anderson to be an edge rusher last year in the second round as well. So there's a lot of that Nick Saban mentality on this defense. But getting Jonathan Allen back healthy, getting Deron Payne, that's going to help you run. It's going to help the run game. You need to still be able to get pressure. I think Ryan Kerrigan is one of the most underrated pass rushers in this league. But you're still going to need other players like Ryan Anderson. You still have Preston Smith as well to get pressure for the back end. Which you have some skilled guys back there. Josh Norman. But you lost Rashad Breland and Fuller. So you're going to need this young secondary and these young corners and safeties. Even Quinn Blanning and Troy Apke to kind of step up and fill the void here so i'm intrigued to see what the redskins will do because a lot of people are writing them off as the worst team in the nfc east but time will tell we will see how alex smith can kind of pull all of this together as for the new york jets defense i think the addition of tremaine johnson is going to help this team substantially avery williamson is another very quality ad that not a lot of people are talking about and you also have Jamal Adams and Leonard Williams that will continue to come into their own. Marcus May as well. Still have Mo Claiborne on the roster, so I'm very excited to see what the Jets can do. Henry Anderson's another player, too. He's a big man who can play 
in that odd defensive front, stop the run. And that's what he did very well with the Colts. And not a lot of people are talking about it. It was a seventh-round draft pick that traded for Henry Anderson. But I think that was a really good addition, a really savvy addition by Mike McCagnan and company. And let's talk for a bit about Jason Witten. Now, Jason Witten did his first Monday night football game right here, at least the first one that I witnessed, with Joe Tessitore. And this is what we're going to be sitting on our couch listening to. And I've seen people on Twitter kind of bashing him. Y'all, he was a little bit quiet, and he was a bit quiet. But you know what? This is the way I always look at it. I was telling my roommate this. I'm like, we all sit our fat asses on the couch with our decadent freaking mouths and spew a bunch of garbage any time one of these guys make a mistake. I'm sitting here with my disheveled face and my loud mouth being like, oh, that's dumb. He didn't point this out. He didn't say that, blah, 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 blah. But you got to think about how hard of a job that is to be an announcer. Any little tiny mistake that you make or if you fumble over your words for a freaking second, well, if you listen to this podcast, you know I do that sometimes as well. We just tear it apart. And that is absolutely ridiculous to me. But I think it's funny because a it points to our society and b it does demand perfection and that's what that job is all about demanding perfection that's why you get paid the big bucks but this is preseason for jason witten right now he's going through the motions i'm glad that they have booger mcfarlane on the sidelines of the jack game to kind of help him out obviously witten knows football it's just going to be him getting comfortable in his own skin and articulating what he sees getting it out there in a quick and timely manner to kind of move on and get tessator to talk about the play when it comes to the setup of the play and the description and everything that the main commentator has to do. Anyways, let's move on to the 2018 outlooks for the NFC North and the AFC North. Ah, let us start with that NFC North division that has a lot of talented teams here. You have the Bears on the up and up. You have the Lions with the new coaching staff and a great quarterback in Matt Stafford. The Vikings get Kirk Cousins, which is an upgrade over Case Keenum. And the Packers get Aaron Rodgers back, baby. So let's start with the top. I have the Vikings taking this division with an 11-5 and record. Now, I think there are a few things that I am concerned about with the Vikings. The offensive line is still a concern to me. The fact that they lost Pat Shermer, but they did bring in John DeFilippo, is still a concern just because there is change there. There is some turnover, and a lot of things kind of went the Vikings' way last year. It was their year to kind of win it. But Philadelphia had something else to say in Philadelphia, that nasty NFC Championship game. Obviously, they had the miracles in the divisional round against New Orleans, but the Vikings, I still have that defense and those offensive weapons with Dalvin Cook coming back. I have them taking this division. I think they are the most talented team, the best-built team, and you got to tip your cap to the Vikings' front office. I have them winning the division. Slightly behind, I have the Packers at 9-7 and seven here. Now, the Packers are 9-7. and seven. Now, I look at a lot of the youth that they brought in at the corner position. Jair Alexander, Josh Jackson. You have Josh Jones, another year under his belt in that secondary. They can, they're going to really need to kind of come together as a defense. I like the additions with Mo Wilkerson coming in to kind of assist Mike Daniels in being that stout defense up front. But they already have some injuries as well. Jake Ryan is going to miss the entire season with an ACL tear. But I think 9-7 and seven is a fair record here. When you look at who the NFC North plays, the NFC North plays the NFC West and the AFC East this year. So it's relatively not a 
super difficult schedule, depending on how you feel about the Seahawks and the Cardinals and how you feel about the Bills and the Dolphins, but you still have a lot of top teams, like the Vikings. They have to play New Orleans and they have to play Philly as their swing teams, the other two teams in the NFC that they have to play. And the Packers have to play the Falcons and Washington. And when you look over Minnesota schedule they only have one back-to-back and it's going to be a rough one they start the season at san francisco and then week two is at green bay week three they host buffalo but then they have their only back-to-back which is they have to go to the rams and then they have to go to philadelphia before hosting arizona then going to the jets hosting new orleans hosting detroit and then their bye week so that is not exactly the easiest start especially with the travel all the way out to the west coast and then back east and then down to philly which obviously philadelphia incredibly talented football team by that point carson wentz could already be back when you look at green bay's schedule they also have a back-to-back that includes the los angeles rams they have to go coming off of a bye week they have to go to los angeles and then they have to go to new england and then they host miami and then they have to go to seattle and then to minnesota now those are some hard games right there And then they end this season after the Minnesota game with Arizona in Week 13, Atlanta in Week 14, both home games. Then they have to go on another back-to-back to to division rival Chicago, which shouldn't be too easy of a matchup. And then they have to go to the New York Jets in Week 16. And then Week 17, they end at home against Detroit. So three back-to-backs for Green Bay. Some of them are more local. But still, they have to go to the West Coast ones, then all the way back to the East Coast. And that travel is something that you need to kind of consider. You need to humanize these players. I mean, when you travel back and forth, man, that kind of takes a toll on your body, your sleep schedule, your entire ritual, whatever you have to do. And a lot of these players are ritualistic. So definitely something to think about, ponder over. As for the rest of the division, I have the Bears and the Lions both finishing 7-9. and nine. The Bears play Tampa Bay and the Giants, and the Lions play Carolina and Dallas. Moving on to the AFC North, whomst play the NFC South and the AFC West. I have the Steelers winning this division at 10 and 6 with their two teams being Jacksonville and New England because they finished first in their division. Now the Steelers obviously have a bunch of talent on the offensive side of the football. They have a good offensive line, Levian Bell. They're going to use the crap out of Levian Bell this year because he's more than likely not going to don a Steelers jersey in the following season. You bring in James Washington as we talked about earlier, Antonio Brown. You still have Juju Smith-Schuster and Big Ben who cleared the concussion protocol. He's going to play. I feel like they could take this division and see if they can make this last run with Le'Veon Bell. you got to see how this defense holds up. Obviously, there's no Ryan Chazier anymore, which is terrible. That is something that you can't just replace from a leadership perspective, but from a player perspective as well, because he was one of the best middle linebackers in this game. You still have Cam Hayward, Javon Hargrave, and Stephon Tuitt as your front with Bud Dupree and TJ Watt coming off of the edges. But in the middle, it's a little bit concerning. And I expect teams to be running right up the gut a lot because Tyler Medikavich, Vince Williams, and John Bostic are your three answers right now in the middle. And that is not exactly going to give you reassurance. Now, it's not a knock on those three players, but after losing Ryan Shazier, you could see team that they struggled a bit to stop the run. You saw it in Jacksonville. You saw it a couple different times. So I'm a little concerned by that. Their secondary is still a little bit unproven. Joe Hayden's getting older. Sean Davis hasn't really ever put it together consistently. You bring in Morgan Burnett, and then you have Artie Burns, another player who has been raw his entire career. Hopefully Cam Sutton can step up, man that, 
nickel back role that he's deemed to play for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then they went out, they drafted Terrell Edmonds. I'm kind of intrigued to see how they're going to utilize him with all of the secondary pieces they already have. But the Steelers, I have them winning the division at 10 and 6. And then I have the Ravens at 8 and 8. Now, I'm not 100% sure how these Ravens are going to come out and handle all this situation because it seems like they're going to keep RG3. Obviously, they're going to keep Lamar Jackson and Joe Flacco, who's still on this big, massive contract. Joe Flacco struggles. Will they replace him? I want to know how long his leash is. And he's throwing the football to guys who are maybe on the back end or have dealt with significant injuries. Now, John Brown is somebody I feel like who can step up, coming over from Arizona, but he has to be healthy. When he is healthy, he's had very solid seasons with Carson Palmer, another big armed quarterback and Joe Flacco and him have supposedly developed a rapport but John Brown's also a sickle cell trait carrier so you need to make sure he stays healthy and they kind of monitor his reps throughout training camp and preseason because he can really help this team out and it seems like Brashad Perriman's leash of that as that speedy big wide receivers it's all but run out you still have young players like Jordan Lasley and Jalen Scott who you brought in Chris Moore still on the roster, but none of these guys are really giving you a warm and fuzzy. John Brown could stay healthy. He would, but that is not enough. Michael Crabtree, how much does he have left now that he's north of 30 years old? And Willie Sneed, we haven't seen him be productive for a while. So they're going to be wanting to run the ball a lot with Alex Collins. Rightfully so. Alex Collins, one of the more underrated running backs in the league. He showed up big last year. You saw Buck Allen, who can play on third down. Then I go over to the defensive side of the ball. I like their defense a lot. I think their secondary is very, very underrated. They have Marlon Humphrey and Jimmy Smith. They also have Brendan Carr to step in and be that third corner, especially when Jimmy Smith is dealing with injuries. Eric Weddle still playing at a high level, as is Tony Jefferson. And they have some dudes who come off the edge and rush the passer. I'm expecting Tim Williams to put it together this year. I really hope he can because he was somebody I loved coming out of the draft. It's just how consistent can he be? Matt Judon, somebody who has been playing very, very well throughout his couple seasons in the NFL. Terrell Suggs is still playing at a high level as well. So you look at the defense, there is a lot of talent there. Just wanted them all to put it together. And how can the offense help the defense, essentially? Is this going to be a team that has to win 17 to 14 or 14 to 7? Are they going to rely on the defense that much? That's kind of my concern, kind of why I have them at 8-8. Eight eight, because I can realistically, in the AFC, which is somewhat weaker than the NFC, see the Ravens winning this division. I don't think that's crazy, but a wild card is more realistic. But I have them at 8-8. Eight eight. A lot of things would have to go their way. We would need Joe Flacco to step up for them to kind of get to that wild card or potentially win the division. I think the Steelers have too much firepower for that to happen. The Steelers have to stay healthy as well. People are concerned about Antonio Brown's health and all of this. Which, you know, it's... You're approaching 30, you're getting to that 30 range. You can kind of start having them concerns, but Antonio Brown is an absolute target monster, an absolute beast. As long as he's on the field, Steelers, you have nothing to worry about when it comes to your offensive production. But you're going to need Le'Veon Bell as well. And then you got the final two. I have the Browns at 5-11 and 11 and the Bengals at 4-12. and 12. The Browns, they play Houston and the Jets, and the Bengals play the Colts and Miami. Now, I love what the Browns have done, bringing in Jarvis Landry, bringing in some of these leaders. You got Baker Mayfield, but I think Tyrod Taylor is the player that you really should be paying attention to. Now, I'm not sure how long Tyrod will be starting, but I think he's a much better quarterback than he's given credit for. And I think this team, Browns, if they really put it together a little bit more, if the coaching kind of doesn't make as much mistakes as they made last season, I think that Tyrod Taylor could lead this team to a seven, potentially a seven-win season, which would cover the over, a six-win season, cover the over. I have them at 5-11, and, and then I have the Bengals at 
four and twelve. I look at the Bengals. I like a lot of the young players they have on that roster. Bringing in Carl Lawson last year. That Jordan Willis. Now I wasn't exactly high on him. Time will tell. But you brought in Sam Hubbard, another young defensive player. You still have Carlos Dunlap, Geno Atkins. So you have a lot of boys on that front. Dre Kirkpatrick, William Jackson III as your corners. That is a solid tandem right there. But that offensive line still worries me. Now you got Cordy Glenn in the trade. I love that, and that could really help. Cordy Glenn has struggled to stay healthy, so this is mainly predicated on that, along with I'm just not 100% sure how their philosophy and their culture is there in Cincinnati. It seemed like Marvin Lewis was out the door. They bring him back. It's just kind of wishy-washy at the moment. A.J. Green continues to get older. Tyler Reifert cannot stay healthy. What are you getting out of Tyler Boyd? I just have a lot of questions. I do love Joe Mixon this season because I think Joe Mixon, for fantasy, is going to be an incredible value if you can get him in the third round at some point. So, those are kind of my thoughts on the Browns and the Bengals and both of these divisions. I hope you guys enjoyed this show, me just pontificating sports, talking into a microphone by myself, being lonely. But before we go on, I am going to bring one more thing up, and that is the random fact of the day. So let's dive into this for one quick second. Today's random fact of the day will be about football. Dun dun dun. Alrighty, so. The first televised football game was in 1939. Not a lot of people had television, nor was the NFL super popular. So there was only about, roughly according to statistics, 1,000 people that watched the first ever televised football game. My, have we come a long way. That is my, Nick Filato's, random fact of the day. I hope you enjoyed this show. Everybody have a lovely Morning, afternoon, evening, night, midnight, whenever you're listening to this, just enjoy yourselves. Take care, everybody. Ta-ta, bye-bye, see you later, peace.